you would, turn in your Bibles with me uh, to Psalm 6. It would be my joy if you would join me there in Psalm 6. And so thankful for Caitlin leading us in that time of confession because the spirit in which he led us is the same spirit, the same heart that David sings this psalm and, and prays this psalm. And it's my prayer that the Lord would show us in his kindness, show us himself, and show us ourselves today. That we would see ourselves clearly, and we would see the Lord clearly today. It says this, to the choir master with string instruments according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we come as your people today, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. And we believe that, that you want us to, to see the beauty and the glory and the grace and mercy of your Son. And so, Father, we ask that you would be good to us today, that by the power of your Spirit, through your Word, that we might see Jesus. That, Lord, that you would lavish grace upon us for our joy, but, Lord, for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your steadfast, Lord, love, Lord, please work among us that we might see and savor Jesus that we might know what to do when we cry out for help, when we're hurting, when we're helpless. Lord, for every heart in here today, I pray you would show us ourselves clearly and show us yourself clearly. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, David looked like he had it all together. David... He'd been married for five years with one little girl. I just realized that I used the name David for this analogy. I'm not talking about the David about in the Bible. This is just a, a random. I should have picked another name. We're going to do it right now. Billy looked like he had it all together. A little less confusing. Billy had been married for five years with one little girl. To everyone else, he looked like the perfect Christian. He he was always teaching at church. He was always serving wherever he could serve. However, under the surface, he was a mess. 
Because he was hiding a secret sin from everyone. That's until one night when his wife was looking at his computer history. What was a secret now had been drugged into the light. And by God's grace, David felt undone. David felt genuinely broken, desperate, needy. But David didn't know what to do. Billy, that is. He didn't know what to do, where to go, who he should turn to. Sarah feels just as lost as Billy, just as broken, just as needy as him. But see, Sarah, she's not entangled by some secret sin in her own heart. She's not feeling hurt by someone else's sin around her. No, she is suffering. See, Sarah just walked out of the doctor's office last Wednesday, diagnosed with stage three cancer. Life was feeling so normal. Her, her job, her family were thriving, seemed to be great to everyone around her, but now the bottom had fallen out. And now she's in the same exact place as Billy. What do I do? Where do I go? Who do I turn to? She felt hopeless and helpless. These examples are not any specific people in this room, but instead they're all of us in this room. They're all of us. Maybe you're not in the same specific place that they're in, but we're all facing sin. We're all facing suffering all the time. There's not one of us in here that doesn't know what this feels like to, to cry out, what do I do? What, where do I go? Who do I turn to? Some of us face chronic illnesses. Some of us face setbacks at work. Some of us face temptations that we can't seem to shake. Some of us face doubts about the Lord. Some of us experience infertility or cancer or back pain. Some of us are entangled by sin, by a secret sin right now that we think no one sees. Some of us face the pain of a spouse's sin tearing us apart. Some of us feel like God is always distant from us. Some of us still have church hurt from the last church we left. Some of us face the loss of people that we've loved or maybe the loss of a dream that we've never got to experience. Listen, spiritual maturity is not arriving at a place where you no longer sin or you never suffer. Spiritual maturity is learning the wisdom of what you do when you sin and when you suffer. Learning what to do where you go, who do you run to to fall on when life seems to be falling apart? Psalm 6 is a beautiful psalm that teaches both the sinner and the sufferer what you do. How to cry for help. This passage teaches us the path that we must always take when we find ourselves in this place. 
the path that we must take when we sin or when we suffer. And I'm praying for Christ fellowship that this becomes a well-worn path for all of us. I know I need this today. My soul needs this well-worn path because I'm often turning down other paths that I think will be the answer. I find myself taking other paths, paths called sin, or paths called addiction, or paths called distractions, or idols, or paths called even ministry, or other people, rather than running to the Lord. And so I'm praying this morning, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, teach us how to cry for help. If you too believe in the Holy Spirit, you should be praying that right now. Lord, teach me how to cry to, for help. What do I do when I sin or when I suffer? Lord, tell me where the path is. I think the first thing this passage teaches us is that we must come to the Lord with humility and honesty. Come to the Lord with humility and honesty. In honesty, if you're reading this psalm, this psalm of David, this psalm comes from a person who knows who he is and knows what he deserves. He knows exactly who he is and he knows what he really deserves. See, some scholars believe that this psalm is a penitent psalm. It's one of the songs of repentance and that David here is coming to the Lord broken over his own sin, crying out in repentance. And yet other scholars believe that it's another lament. A broken and desperate cry from David because of suffering, because of the sin of his enemies. But what I want us to see this morning is whether it's his own sin or whether it's suffering, the only way to come to the Lord, the only way he will ever receive you is to come to him in broken-hearted humility. It's the only way. It's the only option to come to the Lord in broken-hearted humility. Isaiah 66 says this exact same thing. It talks about the Lord at the beginning who is high and lifted up, the King of kings, Lord of lords. But then it says this, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. It's the only one the Lord looks towards. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. And that's why David comes humbly to the Lord saying in verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger nor discipline me in your wrath. Translation, don't give me what I deserve, Lord. Don't give me, please don't give me what I deserve. Instead, verse no, number two, be gracious to me, O Lord. Give me what I don't deserve. Give me grace. Don't give me what I deserve, your wrath. Give me what I don't deserve, your grace. Charles Spurgeon says, this is the right way to plead with God if we would prevail. 
urge not your goodness or your greatness, but plead your sin and your littleness. Plead to God your sin and your littleness. This is exactly what prayer is. It's coming to the Lord not in your strength, not in your self-sufficiency, not trying to present your best performance to Him, not trying to be impressive, not under any illusion that you're enough when you come to God, but knowing you're not enough. It's coming to the Lord in your weakness. It's coming to the Lord in your littleness, your brokenness, your desperation, your not-enoughness. It's coming in humility. Listen, this is the only way that you can come to him. You can read it through all, the whole Bible. The only way you can come to the Lord is in humility. It's not asking for what you deserve. It's asking for what you don't deserve. His grace. It's not demanding anything. It's desperate for God to show you mercy even though you're a sinner. But notice that David doesn't just come in humility. He comes in complete honesty. Look at verse 2 and 3. He doesn't hold back on how he's feeling. He says, I'm languishing. He says, my bones are troubled. He knows he's full. He's mind, heart, body, and soul. He's one complete person. So it's not just my soul that's troubled. My bones are troubled. And then if you jump down to verse 6 and 7, listen to the language, the languishing heart of David. It says, I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Think about this. King David is more powerful, more well-known, more famous than anybody you've ever met. Anybody you've ever met heard about, yet he here feels the depth of despair. David knew what it was like to feel helpless. This isn't like a metaphor. This isn't flowery, poetic language. He's talking about what's going on in his heart. He's talking about when people say, I'm drowning right now. David knew what it was like to be drowning in sorrow. David knew what it was like to literally cry himself to sleep at night, verse 6 and 7 says. And yet he didn't keep it to himself. He didn't just wallow in his hurt. No, he took it to the Lord in honesty. Brothers and sisters, this is good news for us because here's what I want you to hear today from this passage. The Lord knows how you feel. Like wherever you are right now, I know sometimes we put on a face when we come in church, but whatever you felt like last night lying in bed, the Lord sees you. 
He knows you. You can't hide your feeling. You can't hide your hurt, and you shouldn't. You don't have to dry your tears before coming to the Lord. In fact, the Lord doesn't want your eloquence when you pray. He wants your honesty. He doesn't care about the words you're praying as much as he cares about the heart from which you're praying from, a heart of honesty and humility before him. So walking by faith shouldn't be an invitation to be fake. It's an invitation to be real. Faith doesn't call you to hide your hurt. Faith gives you a, pl- faith gives you a place to take your hurt, to take it to the Lord. You know, Christ Fellowship should be a place where the people of faith can come, not to hide, but to be 100% real. We pray that this church is a place where when people ask you, how are you, you don't have to come up with a good, I'm, I'm good, I'm fine, blessed by the best, whatever we like to say when we come in with a fake smile, but we can pull someone aside and say, I'm hurting. I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm broken, I feel it, I see it, and I need you to pray. Let's pray right now. You know where I usually turn, though, when instead of to humility and to honesty before the Lord, you know where I often turn? Maybe you're like me. I like to turn to self-pity. To, to self-pity. And self-pity is nothing but pride clothed in weakness. Self-pity is pretending to be humble. Self-pity is a broken lament that never makes its way to the Lord. That never makes the lament to the desired place of falling humbly and honestly before the Lord. Instead, you just wallow in your complaining. You're complaining in your own heart. You're complaining to other people. Even you're complaining about God. But you never make it humbly and honestly to the Lord. Let's don't turn to self-pity. Let's turn just like David does to the Lord. He comes to the end of himself. He comes to the Lord in humility, and he cries this at the end of verse 3, but you, O Lord, how long? He can't even finish the sentence. Did you notice that? He can't even finish the sentence. All he can get out there at the end is just, you, how long? Maybe all you have to offer this morning is how long? Maybe all you have to offer this morning is simply your tears. And what I want you to hear this morning, what I want to invite you to this morning, is to bring your brokenhearted humility and your complete honesty to the Lord who's waiting for people like you. Who's waiting for people only like you? Who in your littleness and weakness comes to him and says, Lord, how long? So the first thing, come to the Lord 
with humility and with honesty. Second, cry out to the Lord with boldness. Cry out to the Lord with boldness. Next, David cries out to the Lord with great boldness. He's not shy at all. He's now holding nothing back when he starts asking the Lord for stuff. In fact, he's asking, he's pleading, he's begging with boldness. Look at verse 4. He says, turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. This passage invites you to be bold. This passage dares you to be bold and to beg the Lord, to to beg the Lord in boldness to do what only the Lord can do. In fact, do you know the word here, right here for turn? There in verse 4, when the passage says turn, is the same word that the prophets use when it calls people to repent. That's a pretty bold thing to be asking God, don't you think? It's a pretty bold thing to tell the Lord, God, it's time for you to repent. It's time for you to, to turn. That's a pretty bold thing. But, but David's not calling the Lord to turn from doing wrong. He's calling him to turn to do right. To to be who he is, to be the righteous God that he is. He's calling him to do what he loves to do. Lord, I know that you love to lavish grace on your people. Lord, I know you love to show mercy to humble and broken sinners. So, Lord, do it. See, the reason that David could be bold, the reason that you and I can be bold is not because he's banking on himself. Look in the passage again. He's not saying, save me because I have been really good. It's not what comes out of David's mouth. He doesn't say, save me because I've performed so well. Save me because I've gotten my act together. Do it because I deserve it, Lord. Listen, he's not even saying, save me because I've come humbly. Save me because I've been honest. I've prayed the right words. He doesn't even say, save me because I've shed enough tears. No, Jerry Bridges says, even our tears of repentance need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. No, the the basis of his boldness, the only basis for anybody in here to be bold enough to tell God to turn, to be bold enough to tell God to save me, is only because of the steadfast love of the Lord. For the sake of the steadfast love of the Lord. His steadfast love, the, the Hebrew word is hesed. It's used over 200 times in the Old Testament. It communicates God's favor, God's kindness, God's mercy, His goodness, His love 
towards sinners like you and me. Tim Keller says, Hesed, it's, it's the steadfast love of a covenant God who cares for us, not because we're perfect, but because he is. It's his steadfast love, not because we're perfect, but because he is perfect. See, David knows who he is and what he deserves. He deserves wrath. That's why he comes humbly. But David also knows who the Lord is and what he does for sinners. And that's why he comes boldly. Some of you might be sitting here thinking, man, this, pastor, this seems like a problem. This seems like a problem because I look at my life. I look at the things that I've done. I've looked at the things that I've said. I've looked at the things that I've thought, the, the secret sin that nobody else can see. And I, I look and I think, surely this is a problem. I clearly see that I'm a great sinner who deserves God's wrath. So how can I boldly request for God to give me grace? If I'm a sinner who deserves wrath, how can I boldly request for God to give me grace? Well, the only reason is because of the gospel. The only reason is because Jesus went to the cross bearing the wrath that you deserved and rose again, securing your steadfast love that you never could deserve. That's the gospel. If you repent of your sins today, right now, and you run to Jesus, you will receive a steadfast love that was secured for you by Jesus. And you will in experience a steadfast love that will endure forever and be enjoyed forever in Jesus. So this morning, I want to invite you right now where you're seated to be bold. To be bold enough to ask for grace. To be bold to tell the Lord to turn his face towards you. To be bold to cry out right now, save me. And not because of you, but completely because of Jesus. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the steadfast love of the Lord will endure forever. But notice David's boldness doesn't just bank on God's desire to show grace, but it also banks on God's desire to get glory. He says in verse 5, listen to this, For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? He's saying, Lord, if I go to the place of death, I won't be able to give you the public praise that you deserve. He's appealing to the fact that in God's heart, there's nothing that God loves more than God's glory. That he loves to put on display his beauty and his majesty and his worth for all to see. And so David says, Lord, turn to me so I can turn all the praise and all the glory back to you. 
Lord, save me so I can well up in a song of praise for your grace. Lord, so I can tell of your salvation, tell of your steadfast love among the nations. So this morning, I want to invite every single one of us here today, every single one of us sitting here today to be bold and to cry out this morning with ridiculous boldness because the Lord loves to lavish grace on sinners who come to him humbly. And he loves to get glory for sinners that he makes new. So cry out to the Lord with boldness. And then finally, close your prayer with confidence. This is how we can pray every time we come to the Lord. If we will come to the Lord with humility and with honesty, and we will cry out with boldness, we can close our prayer with confidence. Do you notice in the passage after David comes in complete humility and honesty? And after he cries out with boldness, banking on God's steadfast love, well, now all he can do is wait and hope for the best. Wrong. You heard that that was wrong. No, notice in the passage, he rises from the floor in complete confidence. He rises from being face down on the ground with certain victory that the Lord will answer his prayer. I mean, listen to the confidence here. When nothing, listen, when nothing about his circumstances have changed at all, same song, same prayer, same place, nothing has changed, but yet listen to David. Verse 8, depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is complete confidence in the midst of terrible circumstances. This is certain victory, even though he's facing great suffering. I mean, it's really incredible that David has moved now from weeping in his bed to resting in the Lord's victory. David goes from despairing of life itself to declaring certain victory over all his enemies. And church, I want to encourage you this morning that this is the same journey that the Lord wants to take you on. He wants to take you from broken-hearted humility all the way to complete victory in him. He wants you to be able this morning to look at your enemies, the enemy of the worst sin that seems to be entangling you, that the enemy of your suffering that seems like it will never give way. He wants to be able to look at your enemy in the eye and say, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies better run, for you will be put to shame in a moment. That same confidence the Lord wants you to have in him. 
Why can we have that kind of confidence? Because the death and the resurrection of Jesus has guaranteed certain victory for all of God's children forever. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has guaranteed certain victory forever for all of God's children. For some of us, maybe we'll experience more of that victory in this life. Maybe that sin that you feel like you'll never let go of, that sin that you'll never be able to put to death, maybe today is the day that by the power of the Spirit, the Lord gives you victory. Maybe some of that suffering that you have been facing, maybe it's this week that the Lord is going to give way and bring deliverance. Maybe the Lord, because we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe the Lord has healing for someone this week. Do we believe that God can heal? For some of us, that could be true. But listen, for all of us, we will experience complete victory over sin, sickness, suffering, and death forever in Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will one day in glory experience certain victory, complete victory forever in Jesus. So if you don't rise up from prayer feeling more hopeful in Christ, more than hopeless, I think you're doing it wrong. Because when we cry out for help, when we quit looking so much at ourselves and so much at our sin and so much at our suffering, and we turn to look at a risen Jesus, a risen Savior who is risen again and who guarantees eternal victory for his children, then we should rise up in hope. Over the past year, my, my family has experienced some suffering in our home. We've experienced some suffering, and to be completely honest, since we're talking about honestly, at times it's felt pretty devastating. At times I felt completely hopeless that anything looks like it's going to be better. I mean, even as God's children, there's times where we can feel like, I don't know if this is going to get better now. I can't imagine it getting better in eternity. Because help seems so far away. And like David, I don't know if you're like me, it always somehow feels worse at night. Like I always feel like there's more tears at night. When I'm lying in my bed with my hurt, when I'm lying in bed thinking and thinking about the suffering. I feel like I've quit ministry more times laying at bed at midnight than any other time. I feel like I've wanted to give up on life more time in bed than any time. And one night specifically, the, the, the suffering seemed so in my face that I did not know where to turn. Well, the next morning I woke up early and I opened up my Bible in desperate need for a word from the Lord. And that's how, the same way we come to prayer, 
It's the same way we come to the word in desperate need that, God, you will speak to my, my heart. And that morning, I opened up God's word to Exodus chapter 2 in my daily Bible reading. And the Lord spoke powerfully and clearly to my heart, to me in that moment. And this is what I read in Exodus chapter 2. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And it says this, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And that morning, it's like those eight words jumped off the page for my heart. God heard, God remembered, God saw, God knew. The Lord was speaking that to me because the same God who heard, who remembered, who saw, who knew Israel is the same God in Psalm 6 who hears, who remembers, who saw, and who knew David. And he's the same covenant-keeping God that hears that remembers, that sees, and that knows me. Brothers and sisters, this morning, the Lord hears your cries. The, the Lord remembers his promises. The Lord sees you in your greatest sorrow. And the Lord knows you and cannot forget you because he cannot forget Jesus. And you're in Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. We do not deserve his steadfast love. We deserve wrath. But because of Jesus taking our place on the cross, because of God's great mercy and grace, God hears you. He remembers you. He sees you. He knows you. He cannot forget you. He is the steadfast Lord, whose steadfast love endures forever and ever and ever in Jesus. And he invites every single person in here right now. Listen to, not my voice, but listen to the Holy Spirit. Who invites you to come humbly and honestly. Who invites you to cry out to him with boldness, that you might rise up today in complete confidence because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the only way that you and I can ever cry for help. But it's a prayer that I promise that the Lord longs to hear from you today. So why do we not come to him? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would, by the power of the Spirit, draw us to yourself. 
And that, Lord, by drawing us to yourself, that you would turn our eyes away from our sin. Turn our eyes away from just looking at ourselves and our circumstances. Turn our eyes from looking away from our, our suffering. Lord, you would turn us away from the self-pity that we often turn to. And that, Lord, you would help our eyes turn to a risen Savior. whose perfect life was lived for us, whose perfect death was died bearing the wrath that we deserved in our place, and who on the third day rose again victoriously, that we might forever come to you, that we might cry out to you with boldness, Lord, that you might, Lord, fill our hearts with hope, with complete confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. Lord, would you do that for every single one of us today, that we might see Jesus, that we might turn from our sin and suffering and see Jesus now, and that we might be satisfied in his steadfast love all our days. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.